Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self-care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air and our March episode on Spring Forward, Sleep Awareness Week, National Dream Day, and also National Color Therapy Week. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling, and I'm really thrilled on this episode to have two really phenomenal guests. Our first guest is going to be Catherine Gruby, who is the CEO founder of Functional Color Solutions. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what that's about, but it has to do with our living environments and how color really affects our moods and our health. And Catherine is an international expert on this, so we're thrilled to have her. And then our second wonderful guest is Rick Renner, who is the CEO of DreamPad, which is a really innovative sleep science company. And he is going to talk to us a little bit about what the company is doing in terms of making sure that we are getting that restorative sleep that we need for health and also for happiness. And we're going to learn a little bit about what that's all about. He's going to share some of the latest sleep science research and trends with us as well. And for our caregiver wellness news and well home design news, I'm going to combine those into one news format, if you will, because we've got two guests on the episode today. So we want to make sure we get this in. But again, we're going to touch a little bit upon some of the sleep tech that's out there. Also, National Dream Day. We're going to talk about how daydreaming can actually improve our emotional health and help us be more creative and more empathetic. And then, of course, as always, we end with our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack, which is on Sleep Science for Sleep Awareness Week, which is March 12th through the 18th. And we'll be sharing some tips and some hacks with you. So stay with us until the end for that Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. And now let's go ahead and dive into our caregiver wellness news and our well home design news. So as I mentioned, we're going to combine our caregiver wellness news and our well home design news into one news segment for this episode because we've got two fantastic guests that we want to get to. So, you know, a couple of things I just wanted to mention. First of all, as we know, daylight savings is still in place and that's coming up on Sunday, March 12th, where we're going to spring forward. So we unfortunately feel like we lose an hour, but that is what we need to do to turn our clocks forward. And interestingly, we're going to talk to Rick Renner of DreamPad about how our circadian rhythms, which is our 24-7 light-dark cycles, are affected by daylight savings and whether that helps or hurts our sleep that we're getting when we change the clock in the spring and the fall. So that's going to be a really interesting conversation. And then, as I mentioned, Sleep Awareness Week, of course, is March 12th through the 18th. So you're probably going to see a lot of news headlines and other things that are coming out about different sleep science and different sleep tech. And you know, one of the things that I wanted to just touch upon is there's been some recent announcements and different research and things done in sleep tech. 
And I wanted to just share some of those things with you. So first of all, there is a great new app out by Time Shifter. And by the way, we're going to have links to all of these on our episode guide page so you can get to them easily. But the app is for people who travel a lot, who experience jet lag because they're crossing different time zones. They also have a version that is for shift workers. So for people who maybe are doing what we call the graveyard shift, working in factories or truck drivers or other people who have more of those off hours if you will, not that typical nine to five type of shift that can upset your circadian rhythms and your restorative sleep as well. So there's an app also for those people. And then there's just a general one, which is, let's see, it's called circadian rhythm tracker. And that's for the rest of us who just are really interested in what's happening during our sleep. And if we're getting the seven to eight hours of good restorative sleep, which is what is recommended, you know, you have REM cycles, which is where that's rapid eye movement. And then you have the non-REM cycles. And you've got to have enough of both of those throughout the night. They're shifting back and forth because what's happening is your brain is clearing the toxins and the debris and the emotions of the day and really restoring your body both from cellular repair, like for your muscles and for other things that are going on, your digestive system, but also the brain, also modulating those emotions. And, you know, what I always found interesting, and I came across this as I was researching my latest book that's coming out, which, as you guys know, is called Me Time Monday, the self-care plan to balance body brain in a busy life. But the sleep science research really showed that we do actually modulate those intense emotions. So if you're really, really angry with somebody or really frustrated and you want to just kind of maybe have a confrontation, remember how mom always said, you know what, honey, sleep on it. You'll feel better in the morning. Well, moms are neuroscientists that we didn't know because it actually does help. Your brain does start to modulate those emotions. You wake up the next morning and maybe you don't feel as intensely about it. So lots of interesting stuff that's going on with our brains and sleep. We're going to learn, of course, a little bit more, as I mentioned, with Rick Renner when we talk to him. But that time shifter app, that jet lag and shift worker app and stuff is really interesting. And you should check it out because it tracks a lot of things that are going on, as I mentioned, with your sleep. And then it gives you some really good tips and things that you can do that will help to give you better calming sleep, not have as many awakenings during the night and other things. So we call that sleep hygiene. Some of those things, you want to make sure the environment in your room, like the temperature is not too warm because that'll keep you up at night. You want it to be kind of moderate. You don't want to have any blue light emission because that blue light is what tells our bodies to get up and get going. You want to have more of the orangey amber lights as night lights and things like that. Those are going to be in our Me Time Monday wellness hack at the end of this episode. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to share everything with you right now. You can listen to that, but it's got some really great tips and hacks in it. The second sleep tech I wanted to share with you is something called the Sleep Space app. And this actually gives you a score on how good your sleep is. Are you getting into those REM and REM cycles? And actually, this is a really interesting app because it was developed by NASA for the astronauts. And now here it is for the rest of us. But you may want to check that one out because it also takes a look at your heart rate and your oxygenation levels while you're sleeping, any kind of ambient sounds in the bedroom that might be disturbing you that you don't even realize, and some of these other things that are going on. So that's a really interesting app as well. And then, of course, 
Rick is going to talk to us mostly about our pillows because that's what DreamPad is mostly about. We're going to also talk about weighted blankets, I think. But, you know, he's going to talk about sound and vibrations with pillows. But Eight Sleep is a mattress company that's been very, very popular. And they have a mattress system that you can buy where this is all built into the actual mattress. Or you can buy a pod that you slip over like a cover over your existing mattress. And then you can plug this all in and it plugs into your smartphone and has an app with it. But what Eight Sleep does is it really helps you get to sleep faster, stay asleep, as I mentioned. It's very popular with professional athletes, and it's also very, very expensive. It does help cool the mattress and do some other things, but the whole system runs about $3,000, which isn't too bad if you're going to buy a new mattress anyway. And you want to think about this, that might be the way to go. Um, It's a little bit more expensive than some of the mattresses out there. But if you have an existing mattress and you just want to buy the pod and wrap that around and download the app, that's about two grand. So if you already have a really good mattress that you bought and now you're going to add another two grand, I don't know about that. Not as affordable, I don't think, but really interesting to look at. And of course, there's a lot of things that are happening in, in this area. So those are just some things that I wanted to mention because I thought they were interesting. And you can check those out, as I said, as our, on our episode guide page. The other thing I mentioned is that on March 11th is National Dream Day. And of course, a lot of us, you know, we have dreams during the night. Hopefully they're not nightmares, which I know can be really frightening. Our dreams are really interesting. And I actually started keeping a dream journal years ago because my dreams were so fantastical. And I was really curious as to why did this person that I haven't talked to in years show up in my dream? And, you know, why was I doing this? I mean, some of them are hilarious when I go back and read actually what I was dreaming about. But, you know, I've never actually tapped into a a person who's an expert at dream, analyzing your dreams. I just kind of keep it as something more fun for me. But what's also interesting is daydreaming. And this is, of course, different because this is where we're more conscious of what we're doing. It's called free moving, which is where you're actually creating a future that you kind of control. So you're the screenwriter, the producer, the director, the actor, you know, and the audience all in one. And it really is almost like motion pictures. What's interesting is in our nighttime dreams, we're kind of observers. We don't have a lot of control over what we're doing. We're just kind of following ourselves around in these crazy worlds. Whereas daydreaming is a little bit more under our control because it's our way to kind of decompress and pull back from maybe the the challenges of the day or the stress of the day and create some alternative solutions in a really creative way. And so when you think about daydreaming, you know, you take a few minutes and you want to stay positive with it, which is the free moving aspect of this. You know, you don't want to ruminate. You don't want to analyze and get anxious and get depressed about something. You really want to try to come up with that plan B. And the only way to do it is to pull back from all of the noise pollution and everything going on in your life and really find some time to just kind of daydream about, okay, if I could create the perfect world or if I could create the perfect solution for this particular problem, how would I go about doing that? And, you know, it can get as crazy as our nighttime dreams, but What really helps us is it calms us down. It gives us a sense of authority again. We feel like we have that locus of control so that it's not the external forces that are creating that control. We're creating the control internally in order to have, you know, a better life and have some of these things that are solved for us. And a lot of caregivers 
run into things where we feel like we don't know how to solve it. We don't know where to turn. It can become really frustrating and overwhelming. So daydreaming is a really powerful tool that you can use. As I mentioned earlier, it it also makes us more empathetic because it gives us that flexible thinking. There is a physicist and author, Leonard Melodino. I hope I say that right. Anyway, he talks about elastic thinking. And he said that all of the creativity that we see in the world, whether it's Elon Musk with, you know, Tesla and SpaceX or Walt Disney creating Disneyland or Oprah Winfrey becoming, you know, this media mogul, all of these successes in life and all the creativity that we see out there really comes about when we have elastic thinking. And I write about this in my new book. It's a really interesting concept, but it ties into daydreaming. So I just wanted to share that because I thought maybe... On March 11th, you take a little bit of time and do some daydreaming. And by the way, the statistics show us that even though we think of daydreaming as only being maybe a couple of minutes every couple of months, we actually spend about half of our days daydreaming in some way or another. We don't think of it as daydreaming because maybe we don't totally check out and go off into the fantasy world where we're flying around. But we do spend a lot of time pulling back and thinking through things and having a little bit of that elastic thinking, which I thought was really interesting. I'm just seeing if there's anything else. I think that's it. So go ahead and daydream away on March 11th and any other time that you feel that you're running into a roadblock and you need to be a little bit more creative about what you're going to do. So next, part of the research for my upcoming book, as I mentioned, Me Time Monday, is around the psychology of color and color therapy. And I came across Catherine Gruby, who, as I mentioned, is the CEO and founder of Functional Color Solutions. And, you know, she has some fantastic things to share with us. But what Catherine, her background is in both interior design, but also color design, really understanding the light and dark of colors and how we see them, how our, you know, how our vision is through our retina and how we perceive that in the brain. Anyway, I think you're going to find this conversation really fascinating. And also, you know, there's so much that we don't know about light therapy that we're starting to really tap into these days with red, blue, green, ultraviolet lights. We've used those in surgical theaters for a long time, but now they're coming into more of the wellness space. There's also, as Catherine will share with us, there's mood regulation. There's things that we can do to emphasize or support or boost certain moods that we're looking for in certain rooms or certain spaces where we live. You know, when we think about color, you know, in the years past, it was like, like kind of like pop psychology, but now I think it's there's so much more science behind it and people are really resonating with this. And I think it's really fascinating when we think about both our home environments as well as maybe our work environments and also the home environment for our loved one. I think you're going to find this conversation with Catherine really enlightening. So with that, let's turn to my interview and conversation with Catherine Gruby, the CEO and founder of Functional Color Solutions. So I am really thrilled to have a very special guest on our podcast today, and that is Catherine Groove, who is the founder of Functional Color Solutions. And she has done such tremendous work in interior design, both for homes as well as companies and other spaces and places. And I'm just really, really thrilled to talk to her. So Catherine, welcome to Caregiving Club on Air. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sherry. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited for this conversation, too. So I want to dig right into it. But first of all, I want to ask you, you've got such a beautiful background there, of course. And where are we talking to you from today? Well, this is actually a place in Michigan, but you are talking to me in Kansas City. Gotcha. This is just one of my favorite 
escape places on the planet that can really embody me with color and light and nature. So I thought I'd share it with you today. Oh, I love it. In fact, I do feel like I want to escape right there. It looks just absolutely beautiful. We talk a little bit about your business. And I'd love you to explain to the audience what you do, but you know, you use color for purpose. And I was looking at your website, you've done sanctuary places in the home and beautiful colors to create that calm, productive office environments, energetic gym experiences. You've really designed for so many different places, but tell us about how color affects our our mind and our body and our behavior and our emotions, because that's really the core of what you're doing. Of course. The first thing to understand is to know what color actually is. So if you've ever asked yourself, what is color? It's one of my things I do in my presentations in the room, I get crickets because we don't really think about it. But ultimately, color is reflected light using the organic nature of you know sunlight is comprised of the seven colors of the spectrum so you remember back when we were in sixth grade and you learned about roy g biv but when all those colors are fused together it emits white light so when that light bends we see that reflection off of an object as it travels through our three cones in our eyes and our brain tells us that's what we see is that color that's reflected off Something else that's important to understand about color is that it was taken further in 1998 by my mentor, whose name was Frank Monka. He was an architect and a color scientist and uh, was the president of the International Association of Color Consultants and Designers. So this is a worldwide network, but he coined it as a form of energy that affects body function just as it influences mind and emotion. So not to get too technical on you, but color is light and it also is energy based on its emitted wavelengths. So color is measured in something called nanometers per second. And when you have the spectrum of the rainbow, the longest wavelength stems with red. So it's the most stimulating to the body. And then it progressively gets shorter in length going down to the end of the rainbow where you end up with violet that becomes the most calming to the body. So each color creates its own mood in a setting through the energy it's given off. So functional color for what I do is applying those design techniques, the evidence-based research, design elements, and scientific principles of light to put that in a wonderful mix to be able to transform spaces into, you know, performance-driven environments based on whatever the end user's needs are. Uh, that was a no. lot. I know. No, I love it. I love it. And I've got now a couple other questions just based on that. You know, first of all, the frequencies that you were talking about, I'm fascinated by that. I was just reading about vibrational frequencies of the energy field that we have as living organisms. And it sounds like this might be somewhat related to that, but if you can explain a little bit more about how that energy happens. And then I have another follow-up question for you, but let's focus on these energy fields first. Sure. So knowing that color is reflective light and that light is energy. So in layman's terms, there's this uh, Newton's law of thermodynamics. So it's basically saying that energy does not dissipate when it comes into contact with 
an object, but it reflects off and transfers to another. And that being that we are organic, we're born, we grow, we develop, we also respond to the greatest amount of color that surrounds us at eye level. So in interiors, this is our wall plane. So it can be paint or wood or stone or cabinetry or something cladding. But those wavelengths for whatever that color is actually bounce off, reflect and absorb into our skin, into our eyes, because we are porous. And that occurs typically, it changes us in the space within five to 15 minutes of being surrounded by that color. So I want to talk a little bit about, because you mentioned the colors and I love that you know, you were talking about the spectrum and red is really energetic and gets you fired up. And then the more violets and blues and things are calming. You know, I was reading about drunk tank pink and how they had used this kind of not a baby pink, but more of a vibrant rosy pink in prisons and in mental health institutions for calming effect. Also, things like yellow. I was reading about in World War One when the soldiers were suffering from shell shock, having been on the battlefield, that one of the hospitals in England painted all of the patient rooms in yellow and even tiled the floors in yellow to kind of evoke that sunshine and that brightness and lightness, I guess. And so I'm curious, first of all, how you use color when you think about design and if you can tell us about some of the things that, you know, like if we're really looking for wellness and calmness what should we be thinking about and then also does it differ in terms of cultures and different countries and you know do we interpret color differently i guess is the question absolutely all of the above so studies have shown us that being in spaces with certain surrounding colors can relax us or promote focus stimulate creativity we respond to color in three different ways so it's innate So the dawn of time, right? So sunshine is yellow, grass is green. It is cultural. So where we grow up with our customs, our meanings, our symbolisms. So, you know, Western culture, white is used, you know, for wedding and black for a funeral. But if you go to Korea, it's the opposite. Black is for a wedding and white is for a funeral. The third category is that it's learned. So we know when a banana is ripe enough to eat based on its color. So color has the ability to affect our five senses. Sight, we are responsive to a color. So again, being learned, you know, red means stop, green means go. It can trigger a memory that happened, you know, at your high school dance, you wore magenta pink and you see that and it triggers, you know, you're just like a song can bring you back to where you were. Color has a smell. So if we associate color with smell, if I was to blindfold you and then put a a cut lemon underneath you and you smelled it, you could tell me that that would automatically associate to the color yellow. Right. Sound and color go all the way back to Aristotle and the Greek philosophers where color and music are, you know, they're related by vibrations on the eye and the ear. So tints and notes give pleasure through sequences. So if you see a a bright red fire truck or hot pink hair, it's a loud color versus a lavender field or or more muted tones that are, uh, you know, approached as softer. Taste, we taste with our eyes. 
We uh, associate the taste of sours with yellows and greens. We associate sweets with reds and pinks. And touch, one thing about the color, which is amazing, is that it has the ability to change the way we perceive temperature. So you have warmer colors and you have cooler colors. So orange gives off a sense of heat. Blue is more cooling and refreshing. But being in a room surrounded by the color on the greatest amount of volume on the walls can actually change the perception of that room to be six to 10 degrees warmer, cooler than it actually is. So fascinating. You know, I had previously interviewed Charles Spence from the University of Oxford, and he's doing a lot of research in, in sensory dining. And similar to what you were saying, he was talking about how certain tones of music like higher pitch will make the food taste sweeter, lower pitch will make it taste a little saltier, maybe savior. And then also when you look at the color of the plates, you know, if you have, for instance, somebody who is in assisted living, who isn't eating as much, if you can serve the food on a red or blue plate, apparently it will increase that appetite, that um, interest in the food. So it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, there's a lot. I need to get a hold of him and we need to do something together because that's it's just amazing just how we react because we are organic and, and you know, stemming everything that we do going back to nature. Absolutely. Well, and, and I want you to talk a little bit about that because I looked through some of your designs, which are so beautiful. So it's certainly about the color, but you mentioned light as well. And you've talked a little bit about these nature elements. And, you know, one of the things that I've been studying and researching for my book is in this whole biophilic design area. And that is about bringing all these nature elements in. So tell me how those work in terms of our emotions and our moods and, and even kind of healing us and giving us that sense of wellness. Okay, so we are organic and we respond to the light of the sun. So that's our 24-hour biological clock, or you could probably hear it coined as your circadian rhythm, right? So in the morning, we wake up to this warm yellow light at the sunrise, and then our body starts to respond during the day as the light temperature changes, and we get more active because the light gets cooler and bluer until it warms up again as the sun sets going down, telling us it's time to rest and recharge. So something that is called human-centric lighting. So because color is reflected light, it is deemed from, you know, truest pure color is sunlight. So color is measured in two entities with artificial lighting that we have or lighting. Um, it's measured in temperature, which is our degrees Kelvin. So the warmer the light, the more yellow it is. The cooler the light, the more blue it is. And the color rendering index. And this is the part that's left out in our off-the-shelf light bulbs. We go and we purchase a light bulb and it's a warm light or a soft light or daylight. But we're, we're, the problem is, is that Color rendering index is light's ability to show true color in a percentage value based on the 100% CRI, color rendering index, in pure white sunlight. So every color is equally represented in that beam of light. And the light source's ability to reproduce that color in comparison to how they look in natural sunlight is critical. So finding that balance. 
It's sad because our national building standard for our lighting only requires an 80% CRI within our standards. And that goes all the way back to fluorescent lights and it hasn't been changed. But if you think about it, 20%, you're missing the 20% of true color. I always compare it to diet and exercise because the key to weight loss is 80% diet. And then 20% is that exercise, but that's what gives you all the health benefits to keep your body moving and motion and your muscles and your strength. So you're missing that. So you can be super skinny by not eating, but you're not in great overall well-being. And we adapt. We don't realize what color we're missing unless we're outside, if that makes sense. That was a lot. (laughs) No, that was good. So a couple of questions on that. I saw an article that said that a weight loss program, not one of the bigger ones that we know, but some other program had said, you know, if you want to lose weight, replace the bulb in your refrigerator with a blue light because it'll make all the food look (laughs) almost, I guess, like it's spoiled or it's not good or whatever. And you just won't have those hunger pains when you open the refrigerator door. So that's one question. And then the other question is, I've heard a lot about, you know, we've talked about circadian rhythms and we know that that blue light emission that we get from our phones and television sets and everything else kind of has that tendency to keep us up at night, not allow us to maybe get as calm as we need to get into good restorative sleep. And people are talking about using more of the amber, orangey night lights because when you get up in the middle of the night, if a blue light night light turns on, it, it wakes your body up versus these orangey lights, which won't wake your body up, but still allow you to kind of navigate and see. And I'm just curious what your comments are on, on those things. Well, blue is an interesting color because it can, it's calming, but it promotes focus. So as far as it has the ability to suppress our appetite, okay? So, you know, you want warmer colors and tones that provide the variety for socialization or stimulation or what, you know, entertaining, et cetera. Blue, again, going back to the sense of taste, when we see the color blue, we do associate it with being moldy. So, and then going back to the category of learned, the only blue food natural found in nature that I know of is blueberries. So okay. we've accepted that to be that. But if you were to see different types of fruits or things, blues or pinks, we definitely go toward that, you know, more stimulating, energizing color because that's what we want to taste. Your other part about the blue light is is so on point. Because again, circadian rhythm, right? We wake up in the morning and the warm is the it's welcoming, you know, good morning, and it starts us easy and gets us in to be more productive. And then so that's like a 2700 degree temperature. And then as we go through the day, it goes up to, you know, 5000 6000 degrees, which is the bluest, our most active, our most aware. So when we put that blue light on, it tells our brain it's daytime. So instead of being able to keep us at a balance where it is warmer, where we're more eased back into sleep. 
Absolutely. And it's so interesting because there's so many companies now, and I know you you know of them because you're so much in this world of kitchen and bath and in design. You know, I've seen things from Kohler where they have the bathtubs with the lights around them, the toilets with the lights around them, the mirrors, and they will change. You know, there'll be the blue light to help wake you up versus the orangey amber light. You know, Philips and GE, I think, have now their color mood light bulb. So it seems like everybody's moving that way, but not really explaining it in terms of our health and our emotions. It's just kind of more of a cool factor rather than really telling us a little bit more about our health. <laughs> Especially with skin tones. So skin tones, we need to see each other. And if the wrong lighting is there, then we can look yellow or jaundice or pale or grayed out. The problem with the the color moods and everything, the lighting is that they still are using that 80% CRI. So they're basing that specifically on temperature of how, you know, yellow light, you know, going into warmer versus, you know, the cooler light of the blue. So the key is to get artificial lighting applications or light bulbs that have the right temperature, but have a high CRI. So you can see... Because you're in a in a space now and you have a beautiful correlation of pinks around you on your skin and that, but your lighting in there, I'm sure you have some sort of lighting that is affecting showing true color versus, you know, if you threw a blue light on you, that may even go to, you may look more violet, you know, with right. your change. So understanding that color is both temperature and color rendering index. Right. So it just transform of, we just don't even see it until we see it and we're amazed. Right. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about some of the interior design and specifically more of the home design. We know from all of the HGTV shows and everything, everything seems to be white and gray. And it is beautiful, I have to admit. When I see the makeovers and the beautiful white kitchens and everything <laughs> and the gray tones that get used, I do see the beauty in it. But it's curious to me that those are kind of so colorless and almost like stark colors. What do you think about this trend in those colors in terms of home design? And is it really important to have different colors and pops of color in different rooms to set different moods? First of all, the grays and the whites are used because they're safe. It's easier to pair furnishings or finishes with it without the fear of making a mistake or what other people may think. People are afraid of color. You know, whites and grays are neutrals and it's a safe place where they can go. You know, white represents clean and bright and grays in the right tones can blend with anything. So it is trend and it is accepted in in society. It's easier. Every color has its place, but it's about balance. You know, remembering that we respond to the greatest amount of color seen at eye level. And, you know, white walls without expansive windows or controlled artificial lighting or other finishes can create a feeling of sterility and feel cold, emit glare. As far as educational facilities, white walls were deemed a psychological hazard detrimental to learning in the 1940s. Studies were shown where it, it caused more off-task behaviors and lessened academic results. Gray is the easiest color for the eye to see. That's so nice. It's the only color that has no psychological properties. Yes, it is absolutely timeless. It is solid. 
but it does not stimulate, excite, or rejuvenate. You know, it can be motionless, boring, institutional, and too much of it can actually trigger depression and isolation. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the things that, at least in the shows that I watch, you know, like you said, it is safe and you can blend it with so much, but they'll have then like really beautiful blue cabinets or they'll do some great color pillows. So there has to be some kind of color in there. Otherwise it looks too sterile. I know also, I just want our audience to know that you're also a professor. So you actually teach about color and the psychology of color. What have you found over the years? Do you find that there is more embrace of color psychology? You know, some people think, oh, it's like pop psychology and doesn't really work and all these kinds of things. But I feel like people are really starting to understand how the brain works now. And that's, you know, informing us in terms of things like color and our expressions and our moods and our emotions. But what are you seeing out there in terms of color psychology being accepted? Well, there's more awareness of it. And that's the thing, you know, color is taken for granted. And that's uh, one of the detriments of it. It's seen as easy or it has no skill set to select. People are just unaware of what the power of color can do within their interiors based on using true color from our organic selves or nature. More as we advance more, and I think, you know, a lot has to do with, you know, we went through this horrible pandemic where we were locked up in our homes and we really did a deep dive in where we live. So you can see that people were tired of white and gray and need, we need sensory variety. We need more stimulation. And our millennials right now are actually driving the space in design to have more color, to be able to have more engagement and understanding it. So it's just, there are so many institutes that are promoting biophilia and natural daylighting, and they all correlate back to color. So the more awareness, the more understanding in education, the easier it is to accept something that's not picking a color out of a crayon box because it's pretty and putting it on the bathroom wall. Right. Yeah. And I love that, that there is a purpose. And that's what you say right on your website, that there's a purpose in choosing certain colors and understanding that I think is really fascinating. You know, when it comes to, you know, we have a lot of our listeners or family caregivers or a lot of women who are looking for how do I find better balance and wellness in my life. And they're also thinking about that for older parents as well. When it comes to design, are there any secrets, tips, insights that you can give both again, you know, what's going to help our own wellness and what also might help a person who's older, whose eyesight may not be as good and, and what should we be thinking about? Yeah. So understanding as we age, the cornea of our eye yellows and thickens. So it can look like we're viewing the world through a yellow piece of cellophane. So the colors get darker, the grays and lavenders can wash out. So important point is understanding those three planes, what's on our walls, what's on our ceilings and what's on our floors. So contrast is key. As we get older, we need to be able to see line. We need to see shade, the difference. It can help in our wayfinding. Having a a color that's on the floor, a minimum of two shades darker than our wall color. Three is better because again, we are organic. 
We have this fabulous thing called gravity. I don't know how fabulous it is after you flip 40, but right. it still grounds <laughs> us to the earth and right. allows us to have a, a secure anchor and stability. So having contrast between floors and walls or even, you know, baseboard and trim, having a ceiling that can reflect light. And it just depends what the needs are. So are you trying to create this cozy, warm space? Or you do you want something that to be able to function, to be able to see through clear sight lines, distances, because our depth perception changes. Things get closer or we have to put them far apart and we don't realize, you know, how important contrast can be and having lighter colors expand, but being able to promote a specific color, you know, you can have pastels or lighter greens that still can create that energy reflection that relax our muscles or deepen our breathing. If we want something more in, you know, an orange we can go to, you know, a peach tone that's lighter that actually increases oxygen to the brain. So there's every color has a purpose just depending on how we use it strategically. It's for safety, for health and welfare of just our lifestyle. What do we need to do in those spaces and how can we best, you know, help ourselves through that absorption of those color energy? Absolutely. So Catherine, this has been so fascinating. Is there anything else I haven't asked to you that you feel is important for the audience to know just in terms of color and design? It's okay not to understand color, but to find somebody that is educated and trained in it and not just a designer. It might look fabulous, but how are you going to react psychologically and physiologically once you live in that space? So, you know, going back to that pink, that pink tank, that was a study that was done in the 70s because it was a pastel and it was approachable and they were trying to demean the prisoners and, but it backfired. It only worked for about 15 minutes because pink is a tint of red, which is the most stimulating, the longest wavelength and actually backfired and it caused them to be more stimulated than the initial instance of seeing something soft and pink, you know, with... Uh, right. So be careful what colors you choose, right? You know, it's important to, to know what colors to select and why and which ones not to. But, you know, hiring somebody to help you, you know, to get somebody that actually knows what they're doing and not just doing it all by preference because they think it looks pretty. You know, a lot of designers, we, we make these, it's yes, it makes a magazine, but we don't live there. Right, right. And so is there any anything we should look for if we were connecting with an interior designer? Is there a certain credential or a certain training or something that we want to ask about? The International Association of Color Consultants and Designers is one. That's all they do. And they're in the United States out of San Diego or Vermont. They're in Japan, they're in Switzerland, Germany, et cetera. So this was a basis of training on several generations of the study of color. Started with Faber Buren, who actually wrote a book, you know, showing how light affects our our emotion and our and our body. So we're out there for sure. But it's if somebody calls themselves an interior designer, they may not be savvy with color. 
they may right. appreciate it, but they do it more on a trend or, or an aesthetic. So finding somebody that has the credentials that studies just color or color psychologists, color scientists that understand. When I go to these trade shows and I talk to the salespeople, they're all about whatever color of the year is or what have you. Right. <laughs> if I talk to the chemist, they get it. They understand right. what's going on. So it's more of bringing that science. But don't be intimidated by color. If you love blue, then figure out a way to incorporate blue in a space where you want to be calm. You want to promote focus. You want to create you know, that sense of calmness. If you don't like yellow, then maybe you can go, but you still want more stimulating or something to stimulate mental activity or so maybe go into an orange. And the human eye has the capability to see over 10 million different colors based on seven mixed together in the spectrum in black, white, and gray. There is a shade for you. There's something for everybody in that. That's right. So, Catherine, it's just been a delight speaking to you. Tell our audience where they can find you and your what you do that could help them. I have a website. It's called Functional Color Solutions, and that can give you a little bit more information about what functional color is, how does it work, show you some examples, some history about me and my quest to change the world on our national building standard of light and being able to put color as an entity for functional purposes on the top tier of the interior design strategies. Well, I love that. I'm all for that. So thank you again for spending time with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So wasn't that fascinating, that conversation with Catherine? I could talk to her all day long. And in fact, she was so wonderful because I also interviewed her for my book and she was one of my experts that I'm going to be featuring. But I'm fascinated by you know, the light that plays into color, but also the vibrations that she was talking about. And, you know, that was, again, part of my research for my book was around the energy fields that all human organisms have, human beings, plant life, animal life. We all have this energy field around us. And what's interesting is there's sound waves that are coming off of that energy field that play into some of the brain waves and the other waves that Catherine was talking about. So all of these vibrations and sounds and things are things we have not thought about a lot. And there's so much more science around this now. And that kind of leads me into my second interview, which is with Rick Renner, the CEO of DreamPad. And as I mentioned, DreamPad is a really, really innovative company. He's going to tell us a little bit more about what they do, but you're going to learn from Rick something similar. He's going to talk a lot about sounds that help with restorative sleep, but also the vibrations. Again, something we don't think a lot about And it's really critical and really key to getting that good seven to eight hours of good sleep. So here we are with my interview with Rick Renner, CEO of DreamPad. So I'm really thrilled to have as our guest today, Rick Renner, who is the CEO of DreamPad. And as I mentioned, Rick is going to talk to us a little bit about sleep science and why we all need that good restorative sleep and then how DreamPad has come up with some very innovative solutions to help us get that restorative sleep. So, Rick, welcome to Caregiving Club on Air. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you on. I wanted to have you on for a while, and this is perfect for Sleep Awareness Week. One of the questions we always ask our guests is, where are we talking to you from today? 
I'm based in Denver. Uh, DreamPad's based in Denver. And yeah, we've been here for about seven years now. Terrific. I think you're our first guest from Colorado. So we're kind of ticking off all the states across the map in the U.S. So you're the distinction of being our first guest from Colorado. So thanks for that. You know, I want to dive right into this, Rick, because DreamPad has really come up with something innovative. So tell us a little bit about the company and what you do and how you got started and then what your solutions are to really address getting better sleep. DreamPad got its start kind of like a lot of inventions sort of by trial and error and observation. We used to be part of a company that developed a technology and an approach to helping primarily kids with developmental difficulties like autism, ADHD, et cetera, to really kind of rewire their brains and help them with emotional regulation and and other other things. We had these headphones that we put in this special audio technology called bone conduction. And it's basically a way to deliver sound through vibration. Something that a lot of people don't realize is that sound travels through solid materials, just like it does through airwaves. And what happens when you apply this to the body is that those vibrations actually stimulate part of the nervous system that helps create a calming or relaxation effect. We kind of figured this out through trial and error. Just uh, we worked with a lot of therapists and they would put the headphones on their kids and they would say, wow, this music and this bone conduction technology is really helping my kids become more regulated, calming down essentially. That was not necessarily the the focus of the therapy, but we realized that, well, that's a nice benefit. Let's see what we can do with that. And we thought, well, something like 50% of kids with autism have serious sleep problems. And it's primarily related to the overactivation of what we call the fight or flight response. And that's part of the nervous system that is sort of engaged when you're nervous or when you sense some danger or something like that. You know, we've all heard of the the tiger chasing us. And that's a real thing. And there's another part of the nervous system which does the opposite. And they should be in balance. But for a lot of these kids, it's not in balance. And so that causes them to have a lot of difficulty falling asleep and staying asleep. So we said, well, what if we just put these bone conduction devices into a pillow? Because that's pretty easy to use. (laughs) No training required. Just put your head down and listen to some music. We found we first started testing it with actually with infants in a neonatal intensive care unit at Stanford University Hospital. And the observations were that it 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 was mostly for, for premature babies who were in a constant state of fight or flight their nervous systems are not developed and they're in in this essentially state of crisis a lot of the time and the nurses and doctors noticed that while this really immediately put them into a, a relaxed state this was a very simple little pad that we had created so we eventually over time developed that into actual real pillows and a variety of pillows and a couple of other things The principle was based on that stimulation of the nervous system, the calming state, 
and it worked really well. We did some research around that and determined that it was very helpful for a number of populations, kids with autism, adults with other nervous system disorders, and also people with chronic sleep problems like just insomnia. Right. Well, and that's the thing that I think is so great because, you know, a lot of our listeners do have children who may have ADHD or autism and they're having struggle with sleep, but also family caregivers tend to, you know, we have a lot more stress in our lives. Sometimes we ruminate a little bit more. We're not getting as good sleep as we could. And also older adults have issues just based on, you know, kind of more of what's happening with medications or, other things. One of the things that I think is really interesting, and maybe you can speak to this, is I have a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, I've been getting four to six hours of sleep every night, and I'm fine with that. I don't need to get the seven to eight hours that everybody talks about. And I know there's no one size fits all, but why is it so important to try to get those seven to eight hours of sleep? What's happening to our brains at night that makes that really important? Yeah, no, it's a great question, and and it is some sort of an ongoing debate. I think the debate is turning more in the favor of the the researchers and the people who are saying, yeah, four to six hours is just not going to work. You know, maybe maybe it worked for Winston Churchill or or a few other people, but we really need seven to eight hours, and it depends on the individual to some degree. And you know, even with all the research that's been done over the last couple of decades, there's still so much that neurologists and sleep experts don't know, but they're learning fast. And and essentially what's happening during those seven to eight hours is we're going through a number of sleep cycles. I think everybody's heard of deep sleep, REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, light sleep. And those are the three main stages of sleep where our bodies do different things, different systems turn on or turn off, different parts of the brain become activated or shut down, and they all perform different functions. The two most important ones are the deep sleep and the REM sleep. And essentially, if you don't get enough sleep, like four to six hours, especially four hours would be, I would be very concerned if someone's just getting four hours of sleep. You're just not cycling through those different cycles enough. And some of the functions without going into too much detail that they perform is deep sleep has a couple of really important functions. One is when you first go to sleep, you usually enter into deep sleep, and that that helps you release something called human growth hormone, which is essential for all kinds of functions in the body, including brain development. You also, through mechanisms which are still being studied and not fully understood, clear away certain proteins and other things which could have an impact on things like Alzheimer's. So the more deep sleep you can get, really the cleaner, <laughs> to, to use a simple term, your brain is going to be. And that's obviously really important for older people who tend to have less deep sleep as they they get older naturally. So if you're limiting your sleep at the same time, it could really have a detrimental effect on your brain and its functioning. REM sleep is very interesting. And it's we mostly know that it, during REM sleep, you're dreaming that happens three or four maybe five times a night especially towards the later part of sleep so if you're going to bed at midnight and then waking up at four you're probably missing a lot of REM sleep and 
that's helpful in a number of things, including consolidating memories that or events that occurred for you during the previous day, which really is learning. So if you're not getting that REM sleep, you're not really learning and your cognitive development is kind of cut short. Yeah. Well, I love that you use the word cleaning because when I've talked about this with some of the groups that I talk to, I do use the analogy of almost like a washing machine. You know, you've got to go through all the cycles to get everything clean up there. It's kind of funny because I think about what, you know, my mom used to say if I'd be angry or upset. And she's like, oh, honey, just sleep on it. Everything will be better in the morning. And in some ways, right, that's kind of true. We modulate those emotions that are so intense, you know, that we might have. And things always look a little bit better the next day. If I could just add one thing. I think it was Matthew Walker, who's a sleep expert at Stanford. He said something I was listening to his podcast one time, and he said, you know, we spend a third of our lives in sleep. Well, for people who are sleeping four hours a night, it's not quite a third. But (laughs) ideally, we're spending a third of our lives in sleep. And so despite the fact that we don't know everything about it from a scientific or medical point of view, you've got to think that there must be a reason for that. <laughs> so right. <laughs> focusing on it and trying to optimize it is really important for our overall health, and including long-term brain care. Sure. Well, let's go back to your solution because two questions kind of in one. The first is you talked about how when the original idea started with DreamPad, it was, you know, kind of the headphones. I know now that it's more kind of built into the pillow. So I want you to just kind of describe the product to us. And can that then be used with our existing pillow? Or do you need to buy a new pillow with the whole system? So let's start with that question first. Sure. Yeah, essentially, the DreamPad products are using that, what we, we sometimes call bone conduction technology, which is essentially a way to deliver sound through vibration. And so when you are when you have your head on a DreamPad pillow, you hear music or whatever you may be listening to. It could be a podcast. We recommend music typically. And that's happening. You're hearing it because it's, it's a very subtle vibration that's traveling through the pillow and into your, essentially into your head and then into your ears. It's not like a, you know, a heavy, like massage chair type of vibration it's it's very subtle so you don't really notice your head your head is not shaking or anything like that right and you're not wearing like headphones or anything right it's just coming through the pillow that you're resting. yeah it's an interesting experience it's kind of a, almost like a surround sound experience depending on where your head is on the pillow and the volume that you use but essentially it's you could think of it like speakers we don't like to call them speakers but they're a different type of speaker than you would have either in headphones or or on your your desk or whatever you've got that connected to some source of sound which is usually for most people their phone it could be an mp3 player could be a radio although most people don't do that so let's say you've got a phone and you're you're using our app with a selection of of music that we've curated and you're connecting your pillow your dreampad pillow to that either directly or through a bluetooth device you can choose and we provide both of those then your your head is on the pillow you're hearing the music it's not subliminal or anything like that you're actually hearing music and what it's doing that you 
you don't really notice this because it's your nervous system. It's stimulating part of your nervous system that helps to create that relaxation response. We call it the parasympathetic nervous system, if anyone wants to look that up. It's one of those two autonomic nervous systems that kind of regulate your body. And for people who are have a lot of anxiety or PTSD, we've had a lot of great results with people who have PTSD. What's happening is that that stimulation is engaging that part of the the nervous system that really tells your body to start to rest. And we, we call the, the sympathetic nervous system fight or flight. We call the parasympathetic rest and digest. It's when your body is, is saying, okay, it's time to relax, shut down, let your body rest and do what it needs to do. And that's what's happening. And to get back to one of your other questions, you can do this by listening to the music on a DreamPad pillow. If you have your own pillow that you love, and we know pillows are very personal, we do have a device which essentially you can just slide under your pillow and it has the same properties, the same effect, same connection to your phone, etc. That's called the Aorus, and it's a simple product that you can purchase through the DreamPad site. Well, I think that's so important. You know, we we don't know a lot about how our brains work. As you said, we're learning. And so to understand that really you do have to use parts of your brain and your nervous system to kind of give yourself that sense of calm, which this really helps with. Let's talk a little bit about the sounds. You know, I've written about and, and, and also read about things that, you know, pink sounds now are preferred over white noise, if you will, or pink noise over white noise, pink noise being, I guess, more nature sounds, but also the types of music, like maybe classical. Or, so tell us what types of sounds and music seem to work the best. Again, I know it's all very personalized, but what have you seen in your experience with all of this? Yeah, and, and really it, it is mostly based on experience and years of working with customers and therapists who work with their clients who have sleep problems. And what we've learned is we think music is has a lot of interesting and, and helpful properties. And the type of music, the characteristics of music are important. There's no specific genre that is necessarily scientifically better than another, but there are certain properties of music that are important. So when I say genre, I mean like classical versus jazz or what we sometimes call ambient music or pop music. The characteristics are are really important. And there's a, a few of those that I'll mention. One is tempo. That's just the, the, the pace of the music. We don't want anything that's that's really fast. Melody, which is, we all know what melody is. It's, you know, a catchy tune, something like that. We don't want a lot of melody that is, we don't want to listen to our favorite catchy Taylor Swift song, not because it's not relaxing, but because it engages our brain. And that melody is sort of, yeah, it engages, it gets your brain sort of woken up. And that's the opposite of what we want. We want the brain to start to, you know, drift off essentially and, and not focus. Uh, the same could be said with what we call crescendos, where you have like a certain volume and then all of a sudden it 
you know, it gets really loud. And that's another thing that can wake your brain up. So we want to keep these engaging or exciting or other things to a minimum. It doesn't mean it has to be a droning single tone, but it, it needs to be something that's just your brain just kind of, it's almost like in the background that it's not too engaging, but it's, you know, it should be pleasant. We don't want things that are... No thunder, right? <laughs> you know, to that point, for certain people, white noise, pink noise, brown noise is another. That works really well. And we don't try to dictate what sort of music you should listen to, because ultimately it's about relaxation. And if you've got something... It could be a frog croaking, you know, if for some reason that helps you get into a relaxed state, that's okay. And the same can be said with white noise, pink noise, etc. Some people find white noise very calming. White noise is essentially full spectrum. It's like all the sounds all at the same time. Pink noise and brown noise are the same thing, but with some of those, usually the higher frequencies filtered out. Me personally, for instance, I don't like white noise that much. It's a little bit kind of, to me, a little bit too high pitched. You know, if I'm listening to like brown noise for me, sounds like a waterfall, which evokes certain images in my mind, which are pleasant and which help me think, oh, okay, that's a waterfall. That's nature. That's nice. That's calming. That's pretty. So, you know, you want to have things that don't engage your brain that are relatively sort of not boring, but, you know, not too exciting. And also things that evoke pleasant thoughts or feelings, because that's all going to contribute to that relaxation response. You've got your waterfall. I've got my raindrops. That's my favorite. I'm listening Another to the, yeah. the raindrops on the leaves. Since we're talking in March, we got March 12th coming up, which is Daylight Savings. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about circadian rhythms, because we, we talk so much now about the 24-7 light-dark cycles, how it affects our sleep. What are your thoughts or what does the science say that you've seen about daylight savings, you know, jumping forward an hour in the spring, falling back an hour in the fall? Are those things good overall for our sleep health or are they detrimental? Yeah, just a couple of points on that. So just starting with your question on daylight savings time. So changing our clocks twice a year, back and forth. Most scientists, most people in the sleep industry, so to speak, think that's a really bad idea. And the reason is because we're essentially telling our bodies to change the way they they operate based on sort of commercial or other reasons, which, you know, frankly, our bodies don't care. They want to do what they were designed to do. And really what they were designed to do, if you go back hundreds of thousands of years, they were designed to start getting ready to go to sleep after the sun went down and getting up when the sun came up to do their daily activities. And then in the you know 19th century 18th century whatever we started having a lot more light in the evening which is great you know you can read you can do things but it started to change the way our our bodies worked a little bit but they still want to go to to sleep when it's dark and 
when we change that through daylight savings time and make daylight last longer in the day, we're we're imposing this sort of different regime on our bodies. And it's subtle, but it's important. And, you know, there's more and more research that's coming out now around circadian rhythms and your internal body clock, which is essentially what that is. And as it relates to sleep, but also just in general, and it's a really, really important issue. And the importance of it is just starting to come to light. I mentioned earlier when you, you know, you go to sleep and you, you pretty soon go into a deep sleep cycle and your body releases human growth hormone or your brain does rather, which is a really important hormone for your brain development, your muscle development, overall health. If you change your, that's not just about going into deep sleep. It's about when you go to sleep. So if you normally would go to sleep, say at 10 o'clock at night and get up at 6 a.m., nice eight hours sleep, but one night or a couple of nights you go to sleep at midnight or one o'clock in the morning, you're changing that cycle. And the research is showing that that release of human growth hormone is is completely missed that night you don't get it later you just miss it and that's completely that's not based on the deep sleep so much as the rhythm or the cycle and so again still a lot to learn on that but what we recommend to people is really really try to get a regular sleep schedule and we don't say, you know, you need to go to bed at 8 p.m. because it's just not practical in our current society. But if you can get to bed at a, you know, a reasonable hour like 10 or even 11, but do that regularly, even on the weekends. And, you know, this is a really important thing is, is keeping a regular schedule. You know, back to your original question, daylight savings time, that kind of artificially just messes that up. Yeah. And I think you're right. Routines are so essential. I know we're going to run short on time here, but I've got two quick questions left. One I forgot to ask you earlier, and that is when you're using the dream pad, um, if, you know, if you're sleeping with a partner or spouse or, you know, whomever, are they also hearing it or feeling the vibrations or is it really just sticking with you and it's just for, you know, your body and your brain? Yeah, we've designed the DreamPad really to be for personal use, and that was an important feature, so to not disturb someone in, next to you in bed. It's not perfect because sometimes if you want to crank the music up really loud, there will be some sort of resonant sound that sort of escapes the pillow, and it depends on the hearing sensitivity of your bed partner. But in general and for the vast majority of people, it's really a personal experience, and your partner in bed does not hear that. And so it's very different than having a white noise machine on the bedside table, for instance, or some sort of um, speaker playing music, etc. You know, not to mention that you're getting that vibration and that calming effect. So it serves two purposes. It keeps the sound kind of internal to you. And it also gives you that vibration effect. And what we find is that most people, you know, eventually just get two, one for each person. Sure. 
I was going to say, you like your thunder or your, I'm sorry, your waterfall. And, you know, I like my raindrops so you can all exactly, have, yeah. have what you need. And then my last question is, I noticed that you also offer weighted blankets. And it's I found that really interesting. I've used one myself. I know they get used a lot in a lot of long-term care communities and nursing homes to really calm older adults who are either agitated or aren't sleeping as well in that that weight on you is really soothing. Can you talk a little bit about how that helps sleep? Yeah, and, and we think it's something that helps you kind of get into that sleep stage. In other words, creating that relaxation response. It's a different mechanism from your body's perspective. We don't fully understand all the mechanisms involved, but it's that pressure, light pressure. You know, you don't want it too heavy because that could feel constricting for some people. But that light pressure, it's, you know, we think it's essentially sort of an evolutionary thing where it's related to, you know, feeling safe. And, you know, it may sound a little quirky, but it's kind of like having a hug. You're surrounded by something that's non-threatening and that is protecting you. And so that feeling of safety is really important for a lot of people. And that's what the weighted blanket should do. For some people, it's great just as a relaxation tool during the day also, you know, need it necessarily just for sleep. But that's essentially what's happening. The auditory piece with the dream pad is, you know, it's a different mechanism, but they're kind of, they're complementary. They're not in conflict at all. Yeah, which is really great. And you made a really important point for our listeners. And I do want to say, be careful about the weight that you get, particularly if you're getting it for maybe an older parent, you do want to watch and get a very lightweight one because sometimes, you know, that oppressive feeling of having something too heavy is not good. Well, Rick, it's been fantastic talking to you. Is there anything that I didn't ask that's important for our audience to know either about, you know, sleep science, sleep health, or dream pad? I think with regard to sleep science, like I said, it's it's really quickly evolving and we're not producing science, but we try our best to kind of keep up with the current science, um, report on it, make it readable. <laughs> Scientific yeah. papers aren't yes. always readable, but we, we do that in our blog on our website. We think that, like I said, that's evolving quickly. Our focus is really on that the music or the auditory side of it and and that relaxation response in the body. In that regard, what we're trying to do is we we have an app that goes along with our our products, which is really a curated music and sound. We do have waterfalls and raindrops and white noise, et cetera, because again, some people like that. But we're constantly adding new pieces to that and new genres, which we're researching in terms of how they may, may affect certain populations like, you know, people with PTSD or, or, you know, chronic anxiety or chronic insomnia. So we're trying to create content and procure or curate content that's going to help and obviously sound good with the dream pad. So it has to be a pleasant experience. But we, our approach is foundational on the, the technology But then on the content side, you know, we're trying to constantly, uh, you know, add to that and explore new areas and eventually just give people what what they like to hear. It's we don't dictate that again. We want people to enjoy it. 
Well, I think that's the new trend, right, in health and wellness is it's all personalized. There is no one size fits all, typically with a lot of this. You know, give us a range of the costs that we're looking at if our listeners are interested in in purchasing a dream pad pillow. And also, where can they find more information and where can they purchase the pillow? The cost ranges from under $100 for the under the pillow product that I mentioned up to about $150, $160 for a premium pillow. We have a range of types going from a small kid's pillow through sort of a um, alternative down pillow, which is our main product or the main seller to memory foam. We're soon we're going to be adding new types of pillows, including a wool pillow, a premium wool pillow and a different type of memory foam that's a little bit different feel to it so that's the range of pricing we we often do have promotions so you can you know look at our website and get a um a good deal often we also have an affiliate program that allows people who are interested in therapists and others get this to their customers at you know pretty significant discounts our website is dreampadsleep.com one word, DreamPad Sleep. And we're currently not on Amazon, but we are are potentially going to be on there soon. We would love to give you more information or correspond with you. Sure. Well, we we will put up dreampadsleep.com on our episode guide page to make sure that our listeners can get to you easily. It's really been wonderful talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing all of the really valuable data, I think, around sleep health and sleep science. You know, we're so in tune now with why sleep is important, but I think so often we don't understand as much of the why. And so you really explained that for us. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's great being here. So wasn't that really interesting, all of those insights from Rick on how we get better sleep and the things that work and how innovative the DreamPad pillows really are in that whole sound system. We really hit the jackpot with this episode because our two guests were just fantastic to help us celebrate National Color Therapy Month with Catherine Gruby and also National Sleep Awareness Week, March 12th through 18th with Rick Renner of DreamPad. And with that, we're now going to turn to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. And as I mentioned, we've got some great insights for you, additional and maybe supporting some of the things that Rick said around sleep science, but also some little hacks and tips to think about that will help you get that good restorative sleep. And we hope you find it useful. So here we go with our Me Time Monday wellness hack. I'm Sherry Snelling, and welcome to our Me Time Monday Wellness Hack. This episode's wellness hack, we focus on the science of sleep. Restless sleep is regenerative and essential to both physical and mental wellness. CDC data shows that 30% of Americans don't get enough sleep, which they define as seven to eight hours of restorative, uninterrupted sleep. Other studies show 50% of those over age 65 do not get enough sleep to the point it has a negative effect on their overall physical and mental health. And numerous studies have shown a majority of family caregivers don't get the sleep they need. In fact, 70 million Americans are sleep deprived or what is called living in sleep debt. 
We've become a 24-7 digitally alert world and all this technology is not letting our bodies recharge at night. Over the last 100 years, we are getting two hours less sleep a night, which plays a role in the national increase in obesity, cardiovascular disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, depression, and anxiety. When it comes to sleep, we have to think of our bodies like our smartphones. We need to recharge our phones every night so the next morning it has enough battery power to make it through another day. If we don't recharge the phone, the battery dies and the phone will not work. Our bodies are the same type of machine. We need to recharge in order to keep going day after day, both in body and mind. Sleep is essentially when the body goes to bed, the brain goes to work. I call this the neuroregenerative night shift. The brain clears toxins and debris during sleep through its cycles of REM, REM, and non-REM or non-REM minutes. Think of the brain and sleep like washing clothes. The brain needs four cycles to completely clear the brain of the day's interactions, essentially using REM or dream sleep, which happens about every 90 minutes. This is when our bodies experience temporary muscle paralysis. Meanwhile, our brains are modulating the day's emotions. Now, non-REM sleep happens at least three times a night and can last between five and 15 minutes each. This is when we have a lower heart rate and a lower body temp. The third cycle lasts longer, about 40 to 45 minutes. And this is when our brain does a deep cleaning cycle. So for those of you who think you can get by on the four to six hours of sleep instead of the seven to eight hours of sleep that's recommended, you really are robbing your brain of its ability to have enough cleaning cycles. This results in cortisol from chronic stress that interfere with the REM brain synapses in the hippocampus, which is the area of the brain that stores memory, and prefrontal cortex, which is the area of the brain that deals with behavior and decision-making. And this can lead to numerous other health issues. People who get five and a half hours of sleep per night feel groggy, less alert, unable to focus the next morning, and just inert. One study found five and a half hours of sleep is the equivalent of having a 0.05 blood alcohol level the next morning. There was another study done that shows that five and a half hours of sleep can translate into an annual weight gain on average of 12 pounds. So we have three hacks for you. And our first hack for getting better sleep is simple. Routine is key. You cannot get five hours one night and expect to make up for it over the weekend. In fact, going to bed and waking at the same time every day, even on weekends or vacations, is essential to maintaining your circadian rhythm, which is your body's internal clock that regulates your 24-7 sleep cycle. When it comes to older adults and those with dementia, routines are even more critical for the regenerative energy and calm that is gained from consistent sleep routines. And women who are going through menopause may struggle to get good sleep. Postmenopausal women are two to three times more likely to have sleep apnea compared with premenopausal women. Exercise and acupuncture can help, but be aware that hormone replacement therapy has not been shown by science to improve your sleep. 
Our second hack is when it comes to getting good sound sleep, we think of silence, but actually our brains are sometimes anxious when there is too much silence. So this second sleep hack is about using sounds that can help you get into a restful state that includes pink noise. Most people have heard of white noise to help you drift off, but actually pink noise may be more advantageous for sleep and is shown to help calm our bodies and allow us to remain in a safe, anxiety-free state of slumber. There are actually three main color sounds or sonic hues, white, brown, and pink. Now white noise, which is more like the whir of an air conditioning unit, a fan, or TV static, remains at the same tone consistently and can help some people block out other disruptive sounds. Brown noise is a little bit more alarming and can sometimes increase anxiety, although some people do like these sounds, which include things like thunder or roaring waterfalls that have those different nature sounds. And then pink noise is the closest to simulating the softer nature sounds. So it's like soft rustling leaves, small lapping waves on the, the beach, soft falling raindrops, or even a human heartbeat. It is because pink noise is so closely tied to nature sounds that many scientists believe it is the best to help us get into a restful sleep that allows for deep sleep or REM sleep, which is critical for supporting physical and mental health. In fact, both pediatricians who treat our young children and geriatricians who are doctors who treat older adults over 65 agree pink noise is probably the best sound for us to be using to get into good sleep. In a small 2012 study in the Journal of Theoretical Biology, and then a larger 2017 study in the Frontiers of Neuroscience, researchers found that steady pink noise reduces brain waves, which increases stable sleep. Now you can find pink noise apps on many nighttime sleep machines, but also on other sleep science technology solutions, and even on YouTube. Our third sleep hack is about creating the perfect sleep environment. So the number one thing to do is to eliminate all blue light. TVs, tablets, smartphones, even bedside or reading lamps emit a blue light from the digital device that tells our brain it's daytime and you have to stay awake. You should also stop using your digital devices at least one hour before bedtime. Think about blackout shades and blinds and even eye masks can help eliminate unwanted light from street lamps. For night lights, use red or orangey or more amber hues for your night lights. They will not disrupt your circadian rhythm because they convince the brain it is still dusk or nightfall so the body stays in sleep mode even if you have to get up at night. Keep the bedroom temperature to 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit which I know sounds maybe chilly to some people, but it is better to bundle up, wear socks, and throw on an extra blanket instead of having your temperature up too high. According to the Harvard Medical School, your body begins to drop in temperature right before you fall asleep. During sleep, your core temperature is reduced by one to two degrees Fahrenheit as a way to conserve energy. Sleeping in a colder room will help you drop to that level faster, which will essentially help you fall asleep quicker and help you stay asleep, almost like bears hibernating for the winter. Below 60 or higher than 67 will have you tossing and turning at night. You can also use a ceiling fan, which cools your body and saves energy 
and the white noise may even help you fall asleep. Also, avoid liquids and food two to three hours before bedtime. And some people believe in aromatherapy, using things like lavender, which is a scent that has been shown to help promote sleep, can be helpful. However, be careful of aromatherapy, particularly if you have breathing issues or asthma or allergies, and also aromatherapy sprays. One that was recently made in India was recalled after four people died because bacteria had gotten into the spray. So you want to be careful about the source of the room spray you may be using. And in terms of more wellness hacks for restful sleepers, if you're having trouble sleeping or keep awakening during the night, try these hacks. Write down your to-do list for the next day before you go to bed. Sometimes we ruminate thinking about that list in our head while we're trying to get to sleep. But if you write it down before you go to bed, this tells your brain the task is completed. Don't look at the clock. Instead, if you can't get back to sleep and you keep waking up, instead, just sit up and try what Dr. Andrew Weil says is his 478 breathing exercise, which uses the vagus nerve in our body to calm our autonomic nervous system down. We're using that parasympathetic nervous system to create calm based on the anxiety that we may be feeling. Also, get up and walk a bit. Sit on the couch or in a chair until you feel drowsy and continue to breathe deeply. You can pick up a book or read an ebook on your tablet, but make sure the tablet is in nighttime mode so the lighting has an amber effect. And don't read any social media or news headlines or look at texts or emails. You want to escape into a dream state, not be alerted and increase your anxiety. If you have only been getting five to six hours of sleep a night and want to get closer to the seven or eight hours recommended, don't try to add one or two hours to your routine immediately. Follow our Me Time Monday philosophy of baby steps. Add about five, 10, 15 minutes per night for a few weeks. And once you get into more of a routine, then add another five, 10 or 15 minutes after that until you build up to that extra one or two hours. It will help your body slowly adapt and in a more natural way to sleeping longer if you slowly increase your sleep time. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday wellness hack. Each episode of our Caring Club on air podcast features a new Me Time Monday wellness hack. And you can check out more great wellness articles on our website and from my upcoming book, Me Time Monday, the weekly self-care plan to balance body, brain, and a busy life. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club on Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com. Just hit the podcast tab and scroll to the episode. And you can email us at podcast at caregivingclub.com with any questions or comments. I'm Sherry Snelling, and I wish you all to take care and stay well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club on Air. Please listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com. Just hit the podcast tab at the top, and you can email us with any questions or comments at podcast at caregivingclub.com. I'm Sherry Snelling, and I wish you all to take care and stay well.